We're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 3 tonight. How many of you like love stories? Love stories, right? Lahat mga babae. Tama? Walang lalaki. Okay, it's along. Okay. Well, you're in for a treat tonight. So we, we have a love story for you tonight. But I wonder what you would consider the greatest love stories. Okay, so if you were going to place your vote on the greatest love stories, books, movies, uh, what would that be? Which, which some of the, uh-oh, <laughs> somebody's got one, okay. <laughs> I don't know if any of these would make your list, but uh, these were a few that came to mind. I'm not an expert in this area, okay, so uh, don't throw rocks at me if you don't like these. Okay, Titanic, right? You got to put that one up there. Um, at least you have to watch the ship sink, okay? So that's the only reason I watched it. Uh, okay, so uh, Titanic might make the list. Pride and Prejudice. Okay, for some more uh, esteemed uh, moviegoers. Okay, maybe um, for the younger crowd, Twilight. <laughs> no? Okay. Like I said, I haven't seen any of these movies except the Titanic. Okay. All right. How about this one? Notebook. Oh, okay. Good. All right. Finally, some redemption. Uh, okay. Well, there are lots of great love stories out there, but what makes a great love story? What are the elements of uh, a good love story? Well, I, because I'm not an expert in this area, I went to the internet to see what others said are elements of a great love story. So uh, some of those characteristics are ordinary characters go to extraordinary characters, or they go to extraordinary lengths to, to show their love, okay? So you see that in many uh, love stories. Serendipity, okay, which if you don't know what that is, which I didn't and had to look it up, uh, it means you fall into happy circumstances by chance, okay? We would say providence. Uh, but you see chance, you see all, in a lot of love stories, there things just sort of, uh, fate happens, right? So that might be a part of a love story. Obstacles to overcome in lots of love stories. There are challenges that the, the characters are going through that are hindering them from coming to one another. Antagonist. Right? Usually there's somebody that's in between the, the two lovers, right? That's preventing them somehow or another uh, from coming together. And then, of course, sacrifice, right? Every great love story has sacrifice, okay? We all love sacrifice. Well, by all of those counts, the book of Ruth is a great love story. But what we're going to see today is that there is something so much deeper going on than what we find in a typical love story. Something that will help us understand the very love of God for us as we see it in the lives of the characters. Okay, so before we jump into chapter 3, let's review where we've been. Okay, chapter 1, full to empty, right? Uh, we have uh, what should be a land of feasting, Bethlehem, the house of bread, becomes a land of famine. 
And so Elimelech takes Naomi, his wife, and his two sons, and they head off to Moab. And there in uh, Moab, his sons marry two Moabite women, and they begin their lives there. But in the course of time, Elimelech and his two sons die. And what were once happy wives are now widows. And then Naomi, without any other options, decides to come back to Bethlehem. She hears that the Lord's visited his people and that there's bread again in Bethlehem. So she comes back to Bethlehem. But when she does, when she arrives, she says, Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. Because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And that's sort of chapter one. Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem, and the circumstances are bleak. The only sliver of redemption that we see is this loyalty that Ruth has to Naomi. Okay? Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Enter chapter 2. Okay? Gracious providence. We see Ruth going to do the only thing that she can to provide for her and Naomi. She goes out to glean uh, behind the harvesters in the fields. And then she just so happens to come into the field of Boaz. And Boaz is a wealthy man in the family of Elimelech, and he shows Ruth incredible favor. Okay, And when Ruth comes back, she gleans all day, it is, is shown incredible favor by Boaz, comes back to Naomi, and she says, May he be blessed of the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And we get a hint that just maybe, just maybe, there's hope for Ruth and for Naomi. Now, before we dive into chapter 3, I think God wants us to see ourselves in this story. Like Naomi and Ruth, we either have been, currently are, or will be in a position of desperation. Okay? All of us go through seasons at some time or another of, de of desperation, times where we lack the resources and the support to make it through on our own. Now, that may be because of our own sin or poor decisions, okay? squandering our resources, falling into various addictions, burning bridges in relationships, moral failures that have far-reaching consequences in our lives. That may be the cause of that desperation. Could be just living in a fallen world. Okay, sicknesses and diseases ravage our bodies. Tragic accidents take away life or limb. Business or economic failures that threaten to, to take away all that we've gained. Or it may just simply be our own acute awareness of our helpless spiritual condition the crushing guilt of our past or present sin, and the reality that we stand at odds before a holy God to whom we have turned our back. Okay? So whatever the case, you either have been, you are currently experiencing it right now, you are, or you will be in a position of desperation. And what you need in that moment is an experience of redeeming love. Someone who will love you, not because of what you've done, but in spite of what you've done, and who will rescue you from the danger that you're experiencing. And what we see in our text tonight 
is that God's covenant love is always redemptive. And those who have experienced that love will also love others redemptively. So what does redeeming love look like? Well, we're going to see three different expressions of redeeming love in each of the characters in chapter 3. Okay? Number one, love seeks the welfare of others. And we see that in Naomi. Now, more than two months have passed since the conclusion of chapter 2, and we assume things have gone well as Ruth has been gleaning in the fields of Boaz. But then Naomi initiates a different plan. Okay? Verse 1. We're just going to work through the text together tonight. Verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, you may not have remembered it, but we've seen that word rest before. Okay, we saw it in chapter 1 when Naomi was urging Ruth and Orpah to go back to the, her, their own families so that they could have the possibility of having a husband. Okay, verse 8 and 9 in chapter 1, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. The Lord grant that you may find rest each of you, in the house of her husband. You see, Naomi knows that Ruth has essentially pledged to be a lifelong widow. When she made that vow, and she said, as the Lord lives, may the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death separates us. She's essentially, she's pledged herself to Naomi. But, by, but Naomi knows that by the time she dies, by the time Naomi dies, Ruth is going to be in the position that Naomi is in. She's going to be an older woman, too old to be remarried, and then she's going to have no one. No one to take care of her, no one to, no resources to provide for her, a foreigner in a land that's not her own. And in this historical, cultural setting, Naomi knows that the only hope for Ruth is to remarry, to come into another family in which she can find rest, that it may be well with her. Now, what's noteworthy here is that even in Naomi's present state of emptiness and bitterness, love enables her to look beyond her own circumstances and to be concerned for somebody else's welfare. Remember in chapter 1 how bitter <laughs> uh, Naomi was, right? The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went, went away full. I've come back empty. And in spite of what Naomi is experiencing, she's able, love allows her to look beyond her circumstances and be concerned for Ruth, to look toward her welfare. Now, let me pause and just apply this to us and ask ourselves this question. Can you look beyond your own challenges to seek the welfare of others? You know, when we are hurting, it's all too easy for us to turn our eyes inward, right? Just to look at our own pains, to look at maybe the people who've caused those pains, to think about what we're going to do to the people that have uh, made us feel this pain. Uh, and, and we get trapped in this spiral, right? This downward spiral of self-pity and bitterness. But when that first fruit of the Holy Spirit love breaks through in our hearts 
it enables us to see past beyond our, our own pain, see past our own pain, and, and to see the pains of others, and to seek their healing and their welfare. And when we do, God begins to do a healing work in our own hearts as well. Because that's what love does. Love seeks the welfare of others. So how does Naomi seek Ruth's welfare? Well, she comes up with a plan for Ruth to be married, to have a husband. Verse 2. Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you are? See, he was winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash yourself, wash therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. <laughs> now, what in the world is Naomi up to? <laughs> right? Medio sketchy plan ni Naomi, Maybe more than sketchy, huh? Uh, actually, it's not very sketchy at all, uh, as it looks on the surface to us. And that's because there are two Israelite customs that we encounter in this chapter that if we don't understand, then nothing is going to make sense uh, of what is taking place. Okay, the first is called the Leverite marriage. Okay, uh, the Leverite marriage, uh, it comes from the, the Latin word uh, levir. Okay, it's the, the term is not in the Bible, right? It was not written in Latin. Uh, but this is applied to this custom, okay? Levere means brother-in-law, okay? Brother-in-law. And the practice comes from Deuteronomy 25, and this is what it says. If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So th this is the custom. You have uh, brothers that are living together, and they're married, and one of them dies, and his he dies without having a child, without having a son. And so his brother, whom he's living with, is to marry his widow and to bear a child. And that first son will actually not belong to the, to the brother who uh, married her, but to the deceased brother, okay, to carry on the name of, of his family line. Now, what's important for us is to understand that Boaz is not a brother-in-law to Ruth, okay? He was not Malon or Kilion's brother, which means that Boaz was not in any way obligated to fulfill this responsibility of the Leverite marriage, to marry Ruth, to provide an heir for her deceased husband. So why did Naomi send Ruth to essentially propose to Boaz? It was because she trusted Boaz's character. Okay? When the narrator introduces us to Boaz in chapter 2, you may remember this from last week, 
the narrator says that Boaz is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Okay, the, 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 word, the Hebrew word for worthy is hayil. It's the same word used to describe the wife of noble character in Proverbs 31. Okay, you know the Proverbs 31 woman, the one that no woman can live up to, right? <laughs> Who goes to bed at midnight, wakes up at 4 a.m., has a business, makes her own clothes, you know? Uh, that woman, okay? That woman, that excellent wife, that woman of noble character, that same term is applied to Boaz, okay? That's the kind of person Boaz was. And everything that we've seen in Boaz so far has only affirmed that Boaz is just that, that he is a man of character, a worthy man, a man of noble character. And Naomi was hopeful that just as Boaz had gone above and beyond to care for Ruth while she gleaned in his fields, that as a member, a member of Elimelech's family, with a little bit of prompting, Boaz would take Ruth as a wife. Naomi knew that without her taking the initiative, Ruth would never remarry. Okay? So Naomi comes up with this plan to encourage her to propose to Boaz. Okay? Naomi didn't want Ruth just to marry any person. She didn't want her just to have any husband, but a husband of noble character, a husband in Boaz. Now, let me just speak to the parents here, us parents here for a moment. What kind of person do you want your son or daughter to marry? Someone with a lot of money, right? Someone who's really good looking, someone who's smart, uh, okay? <laughs> All those are good things, right? But what about a man or woman of noble character? A man or woman uh, who is high-yield, worthy, okay? And what are you doing to help your son or daughter become that kind of person? What are you helping, what are you doing to help your son or daughter become that person of character? And what are you doing to help them recognize someone of that kind of character, right? How will they recognize that in a spouse? What are you doing to train your children to marry a man or woman of noble character? Are you praying that they, are you praying for their future spouse? Are you praying that they would marry a man or woman of noble character? I have to confess that while I pray daily that my children would be people of noble character, I have not prayed for their future spouse. Okay, and maybe that's because I don't I, you know, want to live in denial of the fact that they're going to grow up and leave. Uh, yeah, they're going to get married and, you know, uh, although I hear grandkids are like, you know, better than kids. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know what? That changed this week. Okay, when I was studying this passage, I said, I have got to be praying for the future spouse of my children. Okay, that they would marry men and women of character. And I'm going to pray that until the day I give them away at the altar. Okay? Nahiyah, <laughs> Okay. Okay, so what is Naomi's plan all about? Okay. Well, without spending too much time on this, 
Naomi was essentially advising Ruth to make it clear that her days of mourning were over, okay, that she was ready to move on and she was eligible to be married. Okay, Naomi tells her to do three things. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak. Now, there is another place in the Old Testament where we see those three things together. And it was when King David was mourning the death of the child that he had through his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. God says the child is going to die. David, he fasts, he prays, he mourns, he weeps, and the child dies. And when the child does, 2 Samuel says, Then David arose from the earth, washed, and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And so what Naomi is encouraging Ruth to do is to move on, to end your season of mourning and move on. She probably had some kind of garment that indicated that she was a widow, uh, some kind of garments uh, of more a cloak that indicated she was a widow, that she was mourning. And Naomi says, it's time, it's time to move on. You've showed your love to the dead. It's time to move on. Wash, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go to Boaz. So what we learn from Naomi is that redeeming love always seeks the welfare of others. That's what Naomi is doing, looking past her present circumstances and saying, I want to seek the welfare of Ruth because I love her. And that brings us to our second expression of redeeming love. Love submits willingly for others. And this is what we see in Ruth. So how does Ruth respond to Naomi's plan? Okay, verse 5. And Ruth replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Now, I want you to stop and think about what's going on for just a moment to appreciate what Ruth just did. Without hesitation or question, she marches out into the night to go and propose to spend the rest of her life with an older man. We don't know how older, but older, as Pastor Nummer pointed out last week, old enough to call him her, her, his daughter, uh, to go spend her, the rest of her life with an older man who she has known for less than three months. Okay? How is that for faith? Right? Uh, but that's what Ruth does. Now, not only that, but what if Boaz misinterprets what Ruth is doing? What if he thinks that she is doing something risque and, and sends her away disgraced and, and shameful? What if someone else finds Ruth and thinks that Ruth is a prostitute because prostitutes did visit men when they spent the night in the fields? Well, despite all the potential dangers, despite not knowing what is going to happen to Ruth, what her future is going to be, Ruth, out of her love for Naomi, she's compelled to act, to trust, to submit, and to follow her mother-in-law's advice. That's incredible love. So what happens? Okay, verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, okay, that doesn't mean that he was drunk. It means he had been working all day, he had a good meal, and he was satisfied, right? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? Okay. Uh, his heart is merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet 
and lay down. Now, why the uncover the feet? Uh, I, I think simply put, it was because when your feet get cold at night, you wake up, okay? I think that's what's going on. Okay, uh, so she uncovers his feet, lies down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Ruth goes away and does exactly what Naomi tells her to do, except for one thing. Did you see it? Remember what Naomi said about Boaz at the beginning of the chapter? Is not Boaz our relative? Okay, our kinsman? But that's not what Ruth calls Boaz. She calls him a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant because you are a redeemer, a goel. Which brings us to the second Israelite custom that we have to understand, and that is the notion of a kinsman redeemer, a goel. Okay, we see it in Leviticus 25, 25. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer, goel, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. You see, when the Lord brought the Israelites into the promised land, he commanded that the land be divided among families. And the land was always to remain in that family. It couldn't be permanently sold outside of the family. Now, it was possible, in this case, if someone fell into poverty, they could sell the rights to the land. They could sell the use of the land, almost like a lease. Uh, they, could, they could sell that to a person outside of the family. But then in the 50th year, in the year of Jubilee, all debts were canceled and all land returned to its family of origin. It was an amazing strategy to keep people out of cyclical poverty, right? The land returned to the people. All the debts were canceled. And the only way that the land could come back into the family before that, that 50th year, before the year of Jubilee, is for either the person who sold it to regain the means and to purchase it back, or for a redeemer, for someone, uh, a near kin, to purchase that land on behalf of the one who sold it and bring it back into the family. That's why the redeemer was called Goel, I need Pastor Nomer to do the Hebrew here for me. Uh, because uh, it comes from the Hebrew word ga'al, which means to redeem. Okay, to rescue from danger by the purchase of another. Okay? You see, it's likely, we don't know for sure, but it's likely that before Elimelech moved his family to Moab, he would have done everything he could to provide during the famine including selling the only thing of value that he owned, which was his land. But with his death and the death of his sons, the only thing that can bring that land back into the family is a redeemer, a goel, somebody who can pay the price to rescue it from danger and bring it back into the family. And that's why Ruth makes her proposal to Boaz, spread your wings over me, not because you're a near relative, but because you're a redeemer. Okay? 
Ruth could have been married to Boaz and he not redeemed the land. But Ruth says, you're a redeemer. Don't just take me, take Naomi, take the land, take the family line, redeem it, save it, rescue it from danger because you are in the position to do it. You are a redeemer. Save not just me, but Naomi, Elimelech, our land, the whole line of the family by restoring what was lost. Friends, like Ruth and Naomi, you and I need a redeemer. Spiritually speaking, we've sold ourselves into slavery to sin. We have acquired a debt that will ruin both our present lives and all of our eternity. And our only hope is for a Goel. A Goel who loves us with a redeeming love and who has unlimited resources to come and to purchase us out of slavery. To give us a new identity, to bring us into a new com a community so that we can experience rest. Have you had that experience? Have you experienced the love of a Redeemer? And if not, then what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And if you have, are you walking in that reality daily? You're no longer a foreigner, okay? You're no longer a widow. You've been brought into a new family. You've been given a new identity. And that is what Ruth calls Boaz to do. Be a redeemer. Rescue not just Ruth from widowhood, but our entire family from ruin. So how does Boaz respond? Verse 10. And Boaz said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now the word for kindness is the word hesed. Okay? Often in your Bible it's translated love, loving kindness, steadfast love. It's the word used to describe God's covenant love for his people, to be their God, to always do them good, and to be with them forever. Okay, we see it in Deuteronomy 7. This is one, one of the many places. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That is the kind of love that Ruth loved Naomi with. This steadfast love. This commitment to always be with her and to seek her good. And Ruth demonstrated that to Naomi when she left her family, her country, her way of life, and she bound herself to Naomi and says, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And that's the first act of love that Boaz is referring to. So what is, what is this last kindness? What is this, this second act of love, this last kindness that's greater than the first that Boaz is referring to? It was that Ruth willingly gave up her right to marry anyone she wanted. Okay? Ruth could have married anyone she wanted, right? Whoever would take her, a young man, okay? Someone her own age, someone that she could have fun with, someone that she had shared interest with, right? Ruth could have gone after anybody. She could have married anybody she wanted, and her, her future would have been secure. But then what about Naomi? What about Elimelech's family line? The only person that Ruth could marry that could rescue that was Boaz, 
was a redeemer, was a goel. And so Ruth resolved, I'm not going to marry anybody except the redeemer, the one who can, who can rescue our family. That's incredible love, right? She gave up her own rights and privileges to marry who she wanted for the sake of Naomi and the sake of their family. Because that's what redeeming love does, okay? It willingly submits its own rights and privileges to do what is best for others. And that's what Ruth does for Naomi. So, redeeming love seeks the welfare of others. Redeeming love submits willingly to others. And finally, redeeming love sacrifices redemptively for others. Enter Boaz. He's already been in the story, but now we're going to see his love, okay? So what does Boaz do? This was a big ask, by the way, okay? It wasn't just a marriage. Uh, this was going to be financially costly and potentially costly in other ways, which is what we're going to see right now. What does Boaz do? Verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all the fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. High yield. Okay? There's that Proverbs 31 person. Yet there is a nearer redeemer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he, will, he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. How incredibly relieving those words must have been to Ruth. Okay? She's laying everything on the line. I'll do for you everything you ask. What relief until you hear the second line. Yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Uh-oh. Didn't see that coming, right? So what does that mean? There's another redeemer. Well, it means that although Boaz was in the position to be a redeemer as a near relative, there was someone closer in relation to Elimelech that had the first right of refusal. Okay? And because Boaz is a worthy man, he's a man of integrity, he knows that he cannot rightly acquire the land. He could acquire Ruth, but he can't acquire the land without first bringing the offer to the nearest relative who has the first right to acquire it. And what we learn in chapter 4 is that is exactly what he does. Pastor Number said I could give you a little preview of chapter 4. Okay, So spoiler alert. Uh, the next morning, Boaz goes to the city gate. He gathers the elders who can witness the transaction. He finds the nearest relative, and he gives them the opportunity to acquire the land. Okay? He says, uh, Naomi is giving up the land. Uh, you are first in line, and I am next. And you know what the Redeemer says? You know what the, the next of kin says? I'll do it. I'll take it. More land, great, okay? But then Boaz says, it's not that easy, okay? There's also a widow involved. And even though you're not legally obligated, you're morally obligated to raise up uh, 
a descendant, an heir for this family line so that it does not go extinct. And the Redeemer's, and the next of kin says, well, then I can't do it because I might endanger my own inheritance. Now, this is where Boaz's love shines, okay? You see, by redeeming the land and acquiring Ruth as his wife, Boaz was essentially saying, I'm willing to sacrifice my inheritance in order to redeem yours. How so? Well, I had to put together a diagram for this, okay? So when Ruth, uh, when Boaz marries Ruth, the first son that they have essentially belongs to Ruth's deceased husband, Malon, okay? And in order for his family line to be carried on. But what happens if Boaz and Ruth don't have any more children? What happens to Boaz's inheritance? It also goes to that son. And what happens to Boaz's name? His line's extinct, right? His family name is extinct. But Boaz says, that's what I'm willing to do. That's what it takes to redeem you, to, to rescue your inheritance. I'll sacrifice mine. That's incredible love. And that's what Boaz does. That's what redeeming love does. It sacrifices redemptively for others. So how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, what have you sacrificed recently to bring redemption to someone else? Maybe that's sacrificing your time in the midst of a busy week to serve someone who has a significant problem. Maybe that's sacrificing your money for someone who is poor or in need or who can't provide for themselves. Maybe it's sacrificing your mental or emotional energy to engage your wife or your kids uh, or your husband when you come home uh, from work. Maybe it's as small as sacrificing your preference for a meal, a movie, or music in order to, br to bring pleasure to a friend. What have you sacrificed recently to be redeeming to others, okay? to bring blessing to others? There are countless opportunities for us to, to demonstrate redeeming love every single day of our life. To sacrifice what's important to us in order to be a blessing to someone else. And every time we do, we imitate the one who sacrificed what was most precious to him, his only son, in order to redeem us and to give us an eternal inheritance. And so our chapter closes with Boaz resolving to be the redeemer that Ruth and Naomi needed. Okay, verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it fare, my daughter? <laughs> you got to love that, right? <laughs> How'd it go? 
Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So what's up with the six measures of barley? What's, what's that all about? Was this just a goodwill gift of Boaz's generosity? Maybe. He certainly has been generous to Ruth throughout the entire story. Was it because Boaz knew that Naomi was behind this whole plan and he wanted to affirm her? Could be. Some commentators think that this may have been some form of a bride price uh, for Ruth's hand in marriage, that he was giving this gift to Naomi as a pledge of his intention to marry Ruth. That could be. It could be some or all of those. But I think as much as anything, what Boaz is interested in here is an assurance to Naomi that she is not going to be left out of this deal. You see, Boaz's concern was not just for Ruth. His love was not just for for her and for her welfare, but for Naomi's as well. Boaz wants Naomi to know that his redeeming love doesn't just stop with Ruth, a wife who has something to offer him, but to Naomi, an elderly widow who has nothing to offer him. Okay, another mouth to feed, another person to take care of. And Boaz says, I want you to know, Naomi, that I care about you too, that you're a part of this deal too. You're not going to be left out. I'm going to be a redeemer for you as well. Because that's what redeeming love does. Redeeming love seeks the welfare of others, even when we're in, our, in the midst of our own pain and struggles. Redeeming love submits willingly for the sake of others. It, it forsakes its own rights and privileges to bring redemption and blessing to others. And redeeming love sacrifices redemptively to rescue others from danger. Now, Where are you going to get the power to love like that? Where are you going to get the motivation to love like that? Where are you going to get the ability to love people like that? Only by looking to the one who loved you with a redeeming love. The purpose of the book of Ruth, we'll see next week, is to vindicate David's heritage. But we also, it also shows us what redeeming love looks like. Okay? Because Jesus, our Redeemer, sought our welfare. When He left His glory, He left His place at His Father's side, He left His position in heaven and became a baby and humbled Himself and became a man and and made Himself subject to the law and all the miseries of this life. He became one of us to rescue us. He sought our welfare above his own. He submitted willingly to the Father his whole life, not just in the Garden of Gethsemane, but preeminently in the Garden of Gethsemane. His whole life was one of submission. I will do whatever you ask. When he got to the end of his life, he says, I brought my Father, I've brought you glory by completing the work you gave me to do. His whole life was one of submission, and especially in the Garden when he says, Not my will, but yours be done. I will give up my rights and privileges. For their sake. 
and when he sacrificed redemptively by taking the cup of wrath that was poured out for us on himself on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to suffer it, so that you and I could be redeemed, so that you and I could have an eternal future of rest at his Father's side for all eternity. And only those who've come to know and experience that kind of redeeming love can demonstrate that love to others. And that's what John tells us toward the end of his uh, epistle. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, redemptively, sacrificially, in the same way that he's loved us. May God help us know this redeeming love deeper and more fuller, even this week, that we might demonstrate that same love to others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this picture of your incredible redeeming love for us. Thank you that you sought our welfare over your own, Lord Jesus, by coming to to take on human flesh and fulfill everything that the law required. Thank you for submitting willingly willingly to the Father's plan to be uh, our Redeemer, giving up your own rights and privileges. And thank you for sacrificing redemptively so that we could be rescued from danger so that we could be redeemed, so that we could have an eternal inheritance at the Father's side forevermore. Help us, O Lord, as we understand and appreciate and gaze upon this love more deeply, that we would be moved, motivated, compelled, unable to help ourselves, but to love others in the same way. Would you do that among us, among this community, as we love one another and beyond this community as we love the world outside so that they might experience this same redeeming love with which you have loved us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Redeemer. We pray this in your name. Amen.